0: Welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, joined, as always, by our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Jason. Hey, Christian. Good to see you. You too. And do you want to give a quick little intro to our guest yeah, today? Yeah,
1: so I, I want to welcome Nicholas Repetto here. Uh, he is the composer for a recent uh, film on PBS called A Run for More. However, he has plenty other credits to his name, and uh, we will let him share those in just a minute. But Jason, why don't you do his bio real quick?
0: Yeah, so Nicholas Repetto worked on the original score for the feature documentary, A Run for More, and the score is available anywhere you listen to music, so you can go look it up if you want to hear uh, Nicholas's work here. Uh, The film is directed by Pulitzer Prize winning Ray Whitehouse and follows the story of Frankie Gonzalez-Wolf, a transgender woman running for city council in San Antonio, Texas. And we were talking before the show, you also write concert music, right? I do. I... Well, thank you for having me, by the way, I want to say.
2: Oh, yes. Front. Thank
0: yeah. you so much it's for really coming. Glad to have you here.
2: Um, I do write concert music and I, I kind of straddle uh, a little bit of everything. So concert music, I have a a piece I'm working on now that's going to be premiered uh, November by the Sequoia Symphony. And it's part of the California Reflections program. And it's it's, it's happening. It's a statewide uh, kind of concert music festival from all the way from Sacramento all the way to, to San Diego. So the whole state. And um, I also have a fantasy film coming out sometime in the fall to the spring. I can't say when because i am they told me to keep it top secret. But I'll kind of give that general area. And uh, it's called Empire Queen. And it's kind of like a cool mix of... I don't know if you've ever seen Harry Potter and The Prince's Bride. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> a comedic homage to that. I'm really happy. Um, I, this, we, I finished that film like three years ago. So now we it's, it's going to be out there soon so i just want to put that out that's exciting along cool. with the american question it's another documentary i worked on um that hopefully will be out soon as well so um wow. yeah and other than that the concert music is taking up a lot of my time now and uh just hunkering away and doing that so but it's it's great being here Well, it
1: sounds like you have been very, very busy. Congratulations to you. (laughs) That's a lot of excellent work. We want to get to know you a little bit and uh, learn more about, um, you know, what it's like to work with a composer and uh, give you some insights of how maybe directors can work with uh, composers better. Um, First of all, why don't you just start by telling us where you're from, uh, a little bit about how you fell in love with music and then how you ended up uh, composing in L.A.?
2: yeah so I um I was born in Argentina actually, in Buenos Aires uh, to be precise. and uh, my parents moved us to actually the states around when I was five, and this is like around eighty five uh, to Florida. We moved to Miami and uh, grew up in that neighborhood. Uh, they put us they put me in an ESOL program which uh, eliminated my accent <laughs> at a very <laughs> young age. Uh, as, as, you know, during the time of Ronald Reagan, uh, which is another story, but, uh, but he, you know, he had a thing where he allowed immigrants to come in. So we moved and, uh, got a major education in Florida. I went to the university of Miami. Um, I picked up the, my, my violin when I was in middle school, started kind of dabbling in music. Then my dad would drive me also to the conservatory to take lessons, um, and then I kind of interested in, in composition around high school, because I would listen to film scores. And I also had a string quartet I played in. So then I started kind of writing music kind of in that style. But also, you know, as well as learning like, about Mozart, Beethoven, and all the, the classical masters. And from that point, I, I decided, well, this is fun. Let me go into college and and kind of See what I can do. So then I I went into for, for violin performance, but then I decided I actually like telling musicians what to do in terms of writing things out because I was we were playing Mahler. I remember in college, and I there was and since I was in the violin section, I saw all the little instructions he gave all the the musicians like I want it this way, and then you know play it this way. Um, and I was like fascinated with that, so I was like let me let me try that, and um, I majored in not only music education, violin performance, but I also took composition lessons in college and kind of took that and then went into jingle writing for commercials. That's how <laughs> I got my first gig writing uh, music. That actually paid me. So right. um, and this is when <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was teaching at the time, actually. I was uh, teaching middle school <laughs> as a music teacher and I would you know teach orchestra and stuff like that in florida and i i remember i I was wanted to get into this business of writing music for commercial uh, for film and tv and stuff like that and i had a student whose mom worked at a tv station and she's like i asked her hey do you know anybody that might need music for something you know i wanted to get in into that field and she's like yeah try um so and so from this ad agency that i know i'm like okay great so i i met up with uh this person Uh, he was the ad director of bsg uh advertising and he we had lunch and we basically hit it off and he asked me hey i have 10 commercials i need a composer for so let me know if you're interested and i said sure and this is when i first got my computer to do all this media stuff because i My early days, I thought, oh, you just sit by candlelight and write your music, like kind of like (laughs) Beethoven did. (laughs) Totally wrong. I was like, you know, I I didn't go to school for this stuff. Like in terms of like the technology needed, so uh, I figured it out and I wrote. um, I think that it was ten jingles, and I got he approved eight of them, which is not bad. Um, And I kind of made what I used to make as a teacher, I made that in one, in like two days, the amount wow. of, dollars, like, wow, uh, that would take me like a month to make as a teacher. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of jump the the thing. And, and from that point, I'm like, well, I need to move to LA. I was looking up all these websites and kind of making a plan, you know, in about a year, two years, I should like make the plan to save up money, then sell everything and drive to LA. And that's what I did in 2012. I basically drove to LA and and I, luckily I'm still here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it looks like you've got quite a bit of work under your belt. Um, Tell us how all that happened and kind of some projects that you're most proud of.
2: Yeah. I mean, in the early days when I moved, I, I, I did a lot of um, freebies for filmmakers just to like get my feet wet and and just work on the craft of writing for music. Um, and that was, um, I think I did a feature film for, I don't know, a few. Um, uh, I think it was like credit and maybe a meal or something back in the day. But as time went on, I worked on things like the most recent thing I worked on um, obviously the Run For More is, is, is one of the Films I'm really proud of. Also, A Sound of Identity, another documentary I worked on about a transgender opera singer. And by that time, I, we, you know, we had the budget to record with a full orchestra. I uh, recorded here in town, LA, at uh, United Studios, um, where a lot of classic Sinatra stuff was recorded back in the day. Um, and the director James Kicklider was so happy that he actually cried at the session because he that was his first time. You know, we worked we worked already on by that time on a few f- films already, and I think it was like six movies we worked on already. And that was the time where he was like, "Oh wow, this is great! We finally have the budget for an orchestra." And um, the producers were all happy, and it was and it happened actually on my 40th birthday, uh, oh, wow. the recording session. So that was a fun great little, birthday present. Oh, it was. <laughs> fantastic yeah. my my husband brought in a cake shaped like a violin and everyone like sang oh wow <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. but it was, it was fun it was a memorable memorable a uh, day for sure yeah yeah
1: my um uh, my composer's name is jeff kurtenacker he um is an incredible guy uh, phenomenal composer and he did the soundtrack for wildstar which is a video game and they ended up recording live with an orchestra and i remember him saying the same thing that was the first time he had been in there and it was just like this amazing experience you know yeah i mean and i I'm- i wanted him to record our st- score with an orchestra but uh, hello, that is very expensive.
2: It is. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, as a composer, you're actually using other people's money, right. To record this stuff. And it's, and when that happens, it's, you have a, you have to have the producers, like you have to make sure your case is stated why we need it. Well, it's like, you know, in a movie also, you wouldn't use like robots to play actors. Right. So it's, it brings this humanity that, um, you can't have with without I mean even though like the the sample libraries we use, the technology we use are realistic enough, but you know there's something about going to the studio and having the musicians kind of bring it to life off the page and and stuff like that so that's that's usually the argument I use when i uh i'm, I'm kind of vying for a budget, but also the director I work with you know that's the important thing the director um, has to have kind of a passion for that and to make sure that um you know that tradition of using orchestra and or just live musicians is not lost because it brings some, yeah. a little something else to the score that's for actually, sure found, yeah
1: and and I know there's a hybrid too because uh Jeff and I talked about you can record some instruments live and you know blend them into the electronic uh score um when you can't afford an orchestra, and we did do that in a few different you know times um so yeah there are ways to bring live elements in there
2: for sure i in in this film the recent film i did run for more i i since i'm a violinist i recorded some stuff here in my studio back here and um and it's in, it's in like you're saying in uh, in that fashion where you record and then you manipulate the sound a certain way i remember there was a scene in the film that was um talking about a tra- traumatic event that frankie went through mm-hmm. and i took i re- violin and viola recordings and basically detuned them and kind of reverse the sound a little bit and it created this really weird eerie texture that the director loved as well so um it's so i mean yeah in th- those cases when the budget is limited you have to be kind of get creative in terms of what you can do i mean i've even recorded stuff I've gone to junkyards and recorded different sounds using my uh, a giant cello bow I use to, to just bow everything and see what what can come out of it. Um, wow. When I was teaching I also recorded uh, some of my students like saying creepy things and I've used that for scary films I've scored. Um, <laughs> there's a film a, a film called Spider I, it's on Tubi right now and and I for that I, I used old recordings of like you know the kids were having fun playing just random things on the instruments. Like, Hey, can I just record you guys doing this? And they're like, Oh sure, let's do it. And then, you know, they have fun <laughs> and I kept those recordings, you know, it's like one of those things that you never know when you, you, you can use that. And I've recorded wow. also in parking structures to, to get like the ambience there. So I try to find ways to keep it interesting, you know? Yeah, that's oh, awesome. That's well, why don't you
1: tell us a little bit about how a run for more came to you and about your process for that?
2: So um, I met um, – well, I was brought into the project by Katrina DeVera, the editor. Um, I met her, I think, three years prior at – we were at Sundance for – I had a project there. Well, Actually, I had a project at Slamdance, the, other, the opposite film festival of, San, of Sundance. <laughs> um, and she was there for something else. And we met. We hit it off. Had a few drinks. Um, and then – she i also met another editor name um uh her name is oh my gosh she's portuguese and she's from texas as well friend of katrina's um and it'll come to me i just lost um (laughs) but she uh, she's the one that recommended uh ray to me in terms of like hey i have she because she's being a, a consultant on the film And in terms of, cause she's very, she's a very good editor. So she was uh, being a a consultant and Katrina was going to be the full-time editor. So they brought me in and I, I talked to Ray and he, it was his first feature film, by the way, he's never worked with a a composer before. So he told me right off the bat, basically, um, Nick, uh, I'm going to rely on you for expertise since you're the, the expert in this in terms of composition. So um, I was like, sure, I, I will help out as much as you can, as much as you need in terms of like uh, the composition process. So he and I got together, did our spotting session. And and Ooh, I asked what's them... What's the
1: spotting session?
2: Spotting session is when... Uh, we sit down and watch the, f- the film together basically. And we decide where music is going to start and what style it's going to be on, uh, in, and then what, uh, the music should do in terms of emotional value, you know, what, what it can add to the film. And I remember, um, I think Ray said, you know, Frankie's story is about perseverance and kind of, uh, hope and struggle and I took those ideas and I told them well we should really have two themes then hope and struggle to kind of match the energy that she she is showing in the film and I told them okay let me let me go away into my studio and come up with like a theme suite so I came back and I think I wrote about um this is early on I think after watching a very rough cut of the film right it's it wasn't even completely finished and I wrote about uh, 10 minutes of music. And from there, I w- were the kernels for the, the score basically. It's like I had the, the main ideas I wanted to hit on and basically expand. So the process was, came from that theme suite that I wrote. And um, and I think I wrote something um, hopeful was, I think it used piano and cello and some synth sounds that I created. And for the struggle one, it had that kind of like violin thing I mentioned earlier in there. So I, I, early on, I did that experimentation and um, he seemed to like it. So then, you know, we went forward and, and then started plugging it in. And I worked closely with the editor as well, Katrina, because she, I think I, before I, the, even before the, we had a final cut, it was like always in flux just to get the picture as mu- as close to uh, i guess it was it's it was being tightened so much you know from all the feedback from everybody and which only helped the picture so then the music had to kind of um be adjusted as well so um in that regard i was able to um i think get a, a final product that we're all proud of it just uh, it took some time because the picture was always being cha- changed. And that's yeah. something that composers uh, complain a lot about. <laughs> but it's yeah, just it's part typical. of
1: the <laughs> I, I brought my composer in for The Girl Who Wore Freedom very early on and had him composing uh, you know, lots of little stuff for us. We didn't want to fall in love with temp stuff. And yeah. so we did ask him to write stuff that we could edit to. Um, and he seemed to like that process. I felt bad for him, but it was really a collaborative effort. Um, and and there's a great joy, I think, in that kind of teamwork with a composer.
2: Oh, you're you're one of the few that love that that temp is like kind of the bane for some composers. Yeah. In a way, it's oh. if if the director doesn't know what he or she wants, I mean it helps, right? Because you can kind of pick pick apart the temp like what do you like about this like do you like the speed the tempo the style the the feel so in a way it's i'm kind of not not ambivalent but i use it as a tool to to help me kind of get into the director's mind so but then i have other directors who are like um um don't use temp at all and then we just talk it through and then you know i get a visceral response and then i I write from that. And I know that w- James and I worked that way before on, on all the films we worked on, like The Sound of Identity was, you know, no temp. And it's, for that, I remember I heard a violin, solo violin in the distance. There was this beautiful shot of Lucia, the, the subject, and that's what kind of drove that. So it, in a way, when I write, it's, it's kind of in reaction to what I'm seeing. So if the finish, if the film is finished, to an extent, you know, I can kind of get a good response um, to that. But then other times, you know, writing ahead of time, kind of like what you did with your composer, that's that's also a great way to do it. And I'm I I like to have little tools um, that I use, and and those are the two ways I kind of approach it. So
1: I feel like we're talking a little bit of inside baseball, so I want to um, define a couple of terms. Sure. So. Truthfully, when we're talking about temp, um, we're banding it around as if it's a thing. Um, what we're talking about is um, when an editor uh, is trying to put together a story, particularly in the documentary sense, you really do need something to edit to because the music is such an integral part of, of the emotion and of telling the story. And uh, I think most editors do work well when they're having some sort of um, under you know emotion undergirding what they're editing, and so typically in an edit session, an editor and a director may take a piece of music that they envision hearing behind a thing and they will use that music um while they edit in hopes that you know in the end a composer writing the original score will be able to you know replicate the feeling of whatever that temp music is, but directors also then fall in love with the temp music and it's very difficult sometimes for composers to satisfy that because they are so accustomed. It really is like muscle memory. You're so accustomed to watching your piece set to that music. It's very hard to get off of that horse and ride a different one.
2: Yeah. And there's a, I guess a, a trend I want to say that um, a lot of composers uh, who do that, especially in the bigger budget, films they uh everything starts sounding the same after a while because they either the director or the studio says i need i need it you know we like the what the temp is here what the temp is doing here can you do that <laughs> so then like a composer ends up aping like the thing and like it, it starts sounding kind of uh redundant and but you know there there are ways to kind of Avoid that um you know some i remember like I, when i was studying this stuff early on there were composers like i think jerry goldsmith who put his foot down and, and when he wrote like i m- remember for music for planet of the apes that was is written in a style that is considered a little bit uh anachronistic you know it's like mm. archaic it's not done anymore but he thought it worked and i think um you know, the director kind of warmed up to it and, and, but then the, you know, the composer also has to have have a a, a kind of a distinct voice to do that, a strong personality, you know, to kind of fight for that. Um, And the director too, the director has to vie for it too and kind of go along with it. Um, It's just a little difficult when, you know, studios are, or producers are like, yeah, well, we like this because it's worked and let's keep it safe. And, but then, you know, we're, it's like a balance of like, you know, you want to create art, but then I don't know, you have to make sure that it, the studio is comfortable and then it's going to make the money, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the other thing. So, um, but, but that's the cool thing about the documentaries is that you can experiment a little more. You know, you have a little more independence, um, bring something that's um, unique to the story. And, and I find that rewarding, you know, cause you get to experiment and collaborate and that's if if you know the director jives with you and then you know they give you the freedom to do that sometimes um not so much but in my experience it's been the opposite i, I i've stated my case i would like to try this and they're like sure let's let's see it'll just make the film and the whole experience better i think if you have that freedom
0: i, yeah. I was gonna say there's a um very interesting YouTube video kind of talking about temp score and all this sort of stuff. It's called Hollywood scores and soundtracks. uh, What do they sound like by every frame of painting? And it shows movies side by side and bounces back and forth between the temp score. And, you know, it's like the same song, in two movies with slightly different instrumentation (laughs) and you can tell, you know, which one came first and which one was kind of like, yeah, we cut to this and we need it to just sound like that. And you're pretty much just going to be stuck with it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a really good case for why not to do it. I think because it's just like, like you said, it's, it's not original it's safe, but do you necessarily want to be safe or do you want something innovative that really catches your ear or catches your eye? And uh, so, yeah, I'll make sure we have that in the description, but it's a, it's a really good listen, particularly if you like scores, you can just see how it changes kind of the edit, kind of the film, kind of the, the texture of everything. Hmm. So
1: thanks, Jason. Well, so you were talking about working with a director. That's one thing I want to ask you. Um, You've worked with, uh, it sounds like several directors now Um, talk about the composer director relationship. And in particular, what advice would you give to directors in working with composers?
2: Yeah. So my, um, my relationships are, you know, it's, I, I kind of, I would say if I were to give a analogy, it's kind of like dating. Um, you have to kind of get to know each other at first. Um, and I have tremendous respect for directors because they have to handle everything like all the departments, which is they're always stressed. That's the thing. Um, (laughs) And Christian's like, yeah, she's like, yep, that's true. (laughs) It's, it's one of those things that, you know, you want to make their life easier um, as much as possible. And that's where I come in when it comes to the, you know, because I think in film school, most directors don't have, there's maybe a paragraph on score and, and writing original music for your film. It's, um, that's what I've heard from other directors, you know, like friends and stuff in in the field that have gone to film school, and you know, so I come in and I'm I'm I want to make their life easier, so I I try to you know become their friend, you know, get to know them, like I, I want to know how they think about life and 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 how that translates later to their art and their filmmaking. So a lot of what I do is psychological. I have to get inside their head what's working in terms of like what I'm I'm writing for the film uh sometimes you know I have I remember I worked with a director who's like was very upfront I don't want anything sounding I don't want anything that sounds uh organic or real I want all synth instruments I'm like that's fine with me I get to work on you know creating some really cool synth uh sounding scores and and that you know, for me, it's also a learning experience because I, I have to kind of adapt to their tastes and their styles. So, um, and so it's kind of like the music part is, is the stuff that we're trained on. That's, you know, so, but we have to translate the words that the directors give us and create music out of that. And that is, I think, more psychological than just creating the music. So you have to, yeah. in a way, you have to be a psychologist. Um, yeah,
1: it's it's so fascinating that you've read that up because that was exactly my experience. I mean, I've shared that before on this yeah. podcast because when Jeff and I met, we decided to work together basically because I really liked him. I liked him. He was funny. I enjoyed being around him. And I didn't realize how much that kind of chemistry was important when you're working with a composer, but it is. It's super important. And I didn't really understand until I made a ton of mistakes and almost he almost quit. <laughs> well, he did quit, but. <laughs> I wouldn't let him leave (laughs) Uh, you know I I didn't understand that you know composers are emotional creatures and that they are really emotional and that they want to please and that they are trying to discern what you're telling them and putting it into something you know that you can hear and finally you know he said to me just tell me what emotion you want in this piece (laughs) you know and that was like that broke the language barrier. I then began to understand how to talk to him and he was trying to understand me and figure out what I wanted and I think that you're right the key for a composer and a director working well together is that close relationship understanding each other's language and figuring out together um, you know what you want something to sound like
2: very true and feel like exactly it's a it's a, an emotional. Uh, rather than use um, you know rather than trying to have the director learn musical terms which they will not and I you know, wouldn't want them to it's you know I want you know just speak to me like you would an actor like you know like I want this performance to be this you know either uh, using emotional words or or just emotions in general you know to capture that helps a lot it's just and then we have our own you know we dip into these like buckets of tools that we have from our training that, you know, and then we can try things, you know, that's how it works.
1: Yeah. uh, And I remember him saying too, what do you want the audience to feel at this point? Because ultimately that's what matters. You know, you, you're using music as a tool um, to draw out an emotional response in the audience. And yeah, I think you guys, I, I had no idea how important that psychology piece that you're talking about was but it's critical did you guys have to take psychology courses
2: i mean i i think in in some film scoring programs there might be a section on that um i just in my own personal interest i lo- i love psychology classes i've taken that um you know and i and something about getting into like a director's mind and the psyche of that—the just the the experience of trying to understand a point of view. Because, in a way, it's like I'm an archaeologist uncovering hieroglyphics. It's like, how do I discern this? It's like, or or, or just figure it out. It's one of those things that, um, you know, it, it's a great mystery, and it's amazing how the greatest scores have come out of just. You know, trying to figure out what a director wants—it's one of those things that is still baffling, and it—it's it, something that um, could write a paper on, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, we—you know—changing subjects a little bit, sure. and this may be too. This may be unfair to ask you, so please tell me if—if um, if it's a stupid question. But um, I really am curious if you can tell me why. Music creates an emotional response in humans?
2: No, not a stupid question at all. It's like, it, I think it's, it goes back to the days of when we were in caves and just, you know, you heard something and it's either, you know, nothing to worry about or danger. Um, so it elicits a fight or flight response. I think it comes from that. Um, and the psychology of that comes into play in scores because I think you mentioned earlier it's it's we're in the business of manipulating emotions and knowing that I think that piece of psychology um, we can Im- kind of imbue that into the score to affect you know what what we want so um, I think it's it comes from just innate primordial DNA that's embedded in all of us I mean. Where we're in the, I, I, for instance, I recently saw Oppenheimer on IMAX. Mm. Talk about yeah, a crystal experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the, good. sounds as I wonder, like, is Christopher Nolan like going deaf or something? <laughs> something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, no, his use of sound is if is just that. I mean, he wants you to feel like this explosion, and then just he cranks up the the mix up to like the wazoo. <laughs> And like, (laughs) I felt it in my bones, like the, the response. So it's that, I mean, imagine like being chased by a, I mean, a bear or something. It's, it's like that those chills, I got those kind of chills of watching this, this, the sound explosion. So to me, it, it, you know, it's firmly planted in our DNA to be, to feel this way and have that. Yeah. I
1: mean, it has to be, but to me, it really is remarkable that I can hear, you know, a violin play a certain thing and it bring me to tears, you know, or I hear, you know, plucking on a cello or whatever. And I get really scared, you know, it's just crazy how music can control our emotions. I Mm -hmm. just don't, get it and i think a good director and a good composer together can figure out you know that magic
2: i think like when you say a good director i think a director who's attuned to that and and knows the power of music you know um just either by studying or just you know research or whatever um knowing coming in knowing the strengths of what music can do kind of empowers their composer in a way like, okay, I know what he wants or I know what she wants. It's like, um, it's one of these things that um, will in the end help the composer write his or her best music in terms of um, yeah. that style. Um, so yeah, like having that knowledge is, is very useful. And, and sometimes you don't get that a lot in, in first time directors because um, it's a lot of trial and error, but it's fine. I mean, I'm, Um, when Ray told me like he wasn't in, in a run for more, wasn't, um, comfortable with the topic of music or I said, well, let's, you know, let's kind of experiment and see what happens. And that's kind of like the job that we have to do in a way, kind of guide you're here, you're hired for this work and, you know, you're not hand holding the director. You're just, it's kind of like an exploration. Like, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. Um, so we're going to slide into our next segment, but before we do, um, are there any words of advice or lessons you have learned mistakes you have made that you want to share with us?
2: Plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man, I remember things not to do. Um, don't, Go in <laughs> don 't write music and then expect it to be perfect the first time <laughs> <laughs> um, that rarely happens it's like i don't know it's like seeing bigfoot in the forest or something it's <laughs> um, you know I, I in the beginning i was and also try not to be so attached to your music it's if you 're going to be so attached to it, then you should write concert music in terms of you know <laughs> because th- you don 't have anyone to answer to except for yourself as a composer. But if you're working in a collaborative medium like film, right, especially documentary film where you have, you know, the director takes years to do this and then you come in and you know, they give you time to do it. Don't don't be so hard-headed and just be open to the exploration and 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 the feedback. It's not really criticism, it's more like feedback. It's like, you know, yeah. notes, right? It's So don't take it personally as a composer because I in the beginning I was like I think I had those moments. I'm like, what are they talking about my music? What do you, what do you mean? Like
1: you gave <laughs> me notes. Exactly. Really? That's what Jeff did to me. I'd given him a few notes and he finally was like, you know, I just don't think that I'm the composer for you. <laughs> right? And I was like, no, you are, we are going to figure this out.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean- but he,
1: do you say, I'm just a moody composer. You have to just, you know, excuse me. <laughs>
2: And I I, have learned to get rid of that part of like that visceral visceral response um, early on. So that's one thing I would say. And then I would say also um, a word of advice is just embrace technology because I had to learn it the hard way. I didn't go to you know I didn't go to film scoring school. Although I did um, later on. I think two two or three years into living LA, I did a film scoring workshop uh, called the ASCAP Film uh, Scoring Workshop where 12 people get selected out of like hundreds of applicants wow. and Whoa. that was probably like the best finishing school for film scoring because we got to use the same musician, same music um, score service that like John Williams and Hans Zimmer uses like in LA. Um, but prior to that, it was, it was just me like going on YouTube and doing research. Um, there was this thing called the Film Scoring Network from the nineties, which I looked up when I was like starting to do this. Um, so the resources were there. I just didn't, you know, I kind of like self taught it. And I even would watch films and analyze um, the scores. I would just talk into a little recording device. Okay, here they're doing this. And why did it work? And <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, I had to get creative with like how to do this. Um, um, so I would say if, if you have the world all to kind of, embrace uh get technology get the technology and embrace it please do so because and now with ai things are changing quickly oh uh, yeah who knows how that's going to affect filmmaking in the future or even the composition process you know yeah
1: it's, all we know now is that it will affect it It will change every artistic endeavor it'll touch every corner some ways will be good and other ways will be painful um right. and possibly evil who knows i don't know <laughs> It, but it will definitely it has it has made its impact
2: yeah it's uh scary for sure or exciting ah
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, well it's both <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so you mentioned to us before we started that you had written an article recently for no
2: film school. can you talk to us about that? yes, um I think that the article was um based on a, a run for more and how i uh, basically how i met ray and, and the whole process of writing the the, f- the score for the film and it's basically uh, something that i mean all filmmakers can all filmmakers uh, listening to this can read it it's on the no film school website um but it it kind of goes into the process of you know the spotting session um the temp music uh just e- everything in post-production um the editing um all the rewrites and cue revisions I did for the the film and kind of and then getting into the nitty-gritty of like the some of the sounds I created some synth stuff and uh, uh the violin viola recording manipulations I did and oh, and then another thing I I should bring up is also I had um I think we were down to the wire for the timeline it was going to be at a film festival and I was busy doing cue conforming which is basically adjusting the score to the new cut of the film um so i had to bring in help from music musician friends that i have who helped me with additional music and i just want to give a shout out to chris harris who helped me with that and also brandy thomas because um, usually when composers um are down to the wire they bring in extra help and student and the bigger composers also do this as well, like in studio features, um, bigger productions, just to meet the deadline. Sometimes there's not enough time. So I talk about that in, in the article and in all the aspects of that. So that's Super. kind of like a quick summary. Yeah, we'll
1: link that down below. Uh, last thing before we go into our DocuVu- Deja Vu segment, uh, what are you most proud of
2: with a run for more? Oh, that's a good question. I would say being part of Frankie's journey in terms of telling her story, um, because this movie is not just about a transgender politician in like Texas. It kind of tells you the state of where we're at in terms of um, this issue. Um, And I'm just proud that I'm able to contribute whatever I can, you know, and telling that story um you know all the musical things i've done you know that that's in support of of telling the story so it's um i'm just humbled by being able to be a part of these stories just like i was with sound of identity as well telling that story but a run for more is something it, it kind of touches on the cusp of something that we're um an issue that's very important to a lot of people you know and i see it um hopefully changing for the better in terms of telling these stories one by one. So wonderful. I'm, I'm proud of that.
1: Good. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, we wish you all the best with that and the other things. Uh, but now it's time for DocuView view deja vu. Deja all right, Jason, we're going to start with you.
0: Cause I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> and You do that you set me up.
1: <laughs> I did. I did. Because I'm going to give yours. To Nicholas. So he gets a turn to tell us about two documentaries. Um, you've, I think the first one is A Sound of Identity, which you've mentioned a couple of times. Yes. Why don't you tell us the log line and uh, show us where we can watch the movie?
2: Yes. So uh, The Sound of Identity is a, a documentary I scored, I have to say. But it's also a very interesting watch. It's about... Lucia Lucas, the first transgender opera singer to perform uh, a major work. In this case, the opera Don Giovanni in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, So, uh, and you can watch it on stars and also on VOD, like Amazon. And I think if you just type the sound of identity on Google, you you can find a lot of places to watch it. Beautiful. All right. And what's your second one? Oh, my second one is uh, Rock Hudson. All that heaven allowed. Uh, I just watched it. I, it was interesting how rock Hudson because he's very handsome and uh and a superstar and i didn't know much about him and i i watched it and i thought it was brilliant how he showcased his life from early on until the final days and uh you can watch it on max
1: awesome all right thank you very much for that um all right. It's my turn and I'm going to talk about a documentary that I just thought was phenomenal. Um, and this is called Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Mm. Uh, it is on Netflix. It, it is a biological film. It's written and co-edited by Alexandra Dean. Um, and it's a life. Uh, it's about the life of the actress of Hedy Lamar. Um, and it is eye-opening. Uh, on so many different levels because she, I had no idea. I mean, I knew she was a beautiful actress, but I had no idea about her brilliance. And I didn't even know that it would collide with my World War II interests, but she ended up uh, creating an incredible invention during World War II to solve uh, some major problems. And sadly, um, it was shelved. She wasn't given credit um, and lots of things ensued so um, it's a it's a very beautiful and sad story but very well done and I recommend it to everyone yeah. and that's it except I guess now it's time for a company update. <laughs> Yeah, so with Documentary First, uh, there has not been a lot going on since the last podcast, simply because we recorded that three hours ago. (laughs) Um, But what I will tell you I am going to do this week is I have just received the um, book that Hank Hanna wrote. If you're watching this, you'll be able to see this little book. Um, Hank Hanna is who I talked about last week, a soldier that uh, wrote contemporaneous diaries during the Battle of Carenton in Normandy, France in 1944. Um, And one of the biggest things that I have to do is go through this book as well as that contemporaneous journal and type it out so that we can begin incorporating that into the score. Uh, That's a big thing on my to-do list. It's super difficult to read. So I think I need to find somebody to read it while I type or vice versa, because
0: it would take me a million years to do
1: that. So that's the thing I'm working on. Yeah,
0: That's what an AI should be able to do. You just like hold that up to a camera, it transcribes it all. Yes, that would be
1: amazing. (laughs) We have pictures. I have pictures of that little diary, but... Oh man, it's excruciating to read. How he could write in cursive handwriting in a tiny little notebook about intricate details of war is beyond me. But but he did. So (laughs) that's great. That's what I will be deciphering over the next
0: week. All right. So I guess that's it for this episode. Thank you so much, Nicholas, for, for coming by. We, we loved talking to you, hearing about your story, and we're excited to see what you work on next. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it.
1: Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.